Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 54 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. This week's episode is very special to me. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma this week is one of my good friends from university, Anthony. We've always kind of been aware of each other's mental health struggles, but we've never really sat down and talked about them in detail. So this was such a great conversation, and I learned so much about him, even though we've been friends for years. So this will be another two-part episode. In today's episode, we get to talk about his experience with anxiety and kind of the roots of that in his childhood. Growing up in a super religious family, how he kind of moved away from that, what has helped him through the anxiety, his coping mechanisms, um, his views on medication, and the moment when he learned that there is nothing wrong with not being okay. So I hope you guys like this episode. I hope you can take away something out of all of his experience, and we will get into even more next week so stay tuned hello hello how's it going i'm good how are you oh not too bad i just got a new phone the other day though so i'm still trying to figure it out a little bit oh what kind of phone did you get i got iphone 12 Ooh. yeah they had a sale on it was 60 bucks for it so i'm like i mean i still have my eight it's like six years old but yeah so I sold my phone to my coworker, and he got it for his kid. So his kid has a phone now. Nice. Been uh, one nice thing too is I'm friends with all my all, all my coworkers pretty much. So we we all hang out a lot outside of work. So oh, that's the best. Yeah. Oh, I know. Like, there's pretty much there's only one guy that we that we don't hang out with, but he's kind of a dink. Um. <laughs> yeah. I have so many notes. I have a note app, and I just make a ridiculous amount of lists on it <laughs> and one of them is like just trying to sort it all out so I can try to stay organized with it yeah. and it helps it helps me stay focused on things rather than getting distracted and doing stuff that I you know because it's easy with money to get distracted and do other things oh, yeah. there's actually quite a few like little things that I've learned that really that have really helped me with like my money situation because um, like I never really I never really like learned how to deal with my money or anything when I was growing up, so yeah, I made I made some mistakes when I was younger with it. But uh, now that I got it figured out, and one thing that I really learned that's been really helpful is like, don't fight what your natural tendency is. If your natural tendency is to spend money, you just have to be smart about about like what you do with it. So what I do is all my bills come out on my payday, so all of them are paid off right away, and then. Basically, I have like my emergency fund that I can't touch unless I go into the bank and get them to manually transfer it over. I do my grocery shopping right away too, and then that way, basically, the many money spent right away, so I can't just go nuts and go spend it on stuff I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like it, it works with a lot of things that I've I found. Like 
just with having a really short attention span, one thing that I've kind of noticed with it is, uh, I don't know if you have it at all, but like you'll get super hyper focused on something, and then it kind of it kind of fades away, or you start to get too focused on it, and you realize, okay, this isn't good. I need to like stop this. So like one of the things that I figured out to do that really helps is I have things that I can hyper focus on that's not really that big of a deal. So like if I get really focused on something. I'll go play on my computer for a few hours and like I play video games and it kind of like helps reset that focus for me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I do too is I'll have different things. Like once I start hyper-focusing on something, I'll have diff- like a list of things to go through. So like, okay, once I realize that I'm at the point where I'm getting too fo- focused on something, I go to my list and it's like, okay, rather than doing that, I've got these things. I'm going to try this one. If that doesn't work, you know, you just kind of go like go down the list and it's helped a lot with things like just doing like normal chores that people do like around the house kind of thing because that's that's definitely a struggle because the interest to do that isn't always there mm-hmm. so like I have to do what I can to try to utilize that a little bit better and that list I guess seems to really work really well and uh with that new doctor that I uh started seeing us like just started seeing him because my old one he changed his schedule and it doesn't work for me anymore unfortunately because like the I do shift work, so one of the shifts are six to twos, and that's the one that I usually do stuff after work because I don't live directly in Mooseman. I live about twenty minutes outside of town, um, so I usually like try to do all my running around. Then, but he uh, stopped being at the clinic after two o'clock, so I can't really go see him. So I had to start with this new doctor, and he kind of wanted to go over like some of the ways that I try to cope when things start to get a little rough, like because. Recently at work, uh, almost had a fight. Well, we, I did have a fire in the hammer mill. That's stressful as hell because when you're in a building full of grain, mm-hmm. it, that fire is basically just an, a, like waiting to get burnt to the ground, basically. So like it was really stressful. And the one, the the thing that I that really helped me like reset because I started getting overwhelmed with it because I never had it. I didn't know what to do. What we did was Kate. Well, we turned the power off. I, I diverted to stuff to something that I knew what to do kind of thing. So, like, okay, I didn't know what to do with the fire itself, but, okay, yep, you turn the power off to it so it doesn't spread or anything like that, it doesn't send it around, check where it was going, make sure there's nothing hot going into any of the bins or anything up top, and then got to hose out the, the hammer mill, and, like, that really kind of helped reset me. Even though it was still really stressful, it, was, it wasn't an anxiety attack because, like, it got to the point where it was starting to get like that. And that was the other thing was with his doctor he asked me well do you have panic attacks and I'm like well what's the difference and he's like well that's that can be a little bit rough trying to figure out what the difference is but usually with panic attacks he said they're a lot more target specific so like let's say you're scared of spiders or something that's mm-hmm. considered a panic attack but when it's like a general stimulation of something that's non-specific like a fire in the hammer mill that's not really something that i think about happening right but it set it off, but it's not like one of those scenarios that I knew ahead of time that would cause that. So he said that they would classify as an anxiety attack. And the reason that I said is sometimes what happens is panic attacks can be easier to control than anxiety sometimes because you know what causes them. You can kind of remove yourself from them and bring your, your anxiety down. And so he asked me like to kind of go, go through what I did with that fire to try to figure out how do I deal like how I deal with things in general when that that kind of stuff happens because I'm not sure like if you've had them really bad or not but it's to the point where like you have to 
tell somebody has to tell you to remember to breathe and like go through it with you like it gets that bad sometimes and that's where I've been on my medication now for like seven or eight years and I probably only had it happen two or three times since I started taking it but it was happening like once a week before mm-hmm. and so like it's been an absolute godsend that they work because like that was the biggest thing I had a really bad panic attack because I cut my finger when I was working like with my dad we were doing uh, I had to take the blades out of the planer and there was a rusted on bolt and I was reaming on the wrench and my hand slipped and I cut the top of my finger like basically from the nail all the way down to the knuckle funny thing was they couldn't give me stitches because there was nothing to stitch it to because the way it cut it didn't hit any of the fibers or anything but it was just kind of like open and that that was really rough so basically about a week after that happened like after it took me that long to calm down from it i went and saw my doctor and i was like look i'm like i'm having these issues and i need to do something about it because like that was that was brutal mm-hmm. <laughs> like i i didn't sleep for probably three days and it's not sleeping makes it a lot worse and it makes even the smallest triggers like a lot more intense it's not a very good time <laughs> so yeah no I, I went and uh i talked to her and she and like she knew ex- the best part was like i had this she was a south african doctor unfortunately she went back to uh south africa um but she was really good like because i went and talked to her and I'm like look look these are the problems that i'm having like i don't know it doesn't seem normal because all the people that i know they don't have these kinds of problems it doesn't seem like and they don't have troubles breathing you know like the smallest things don't set them off where they just want to completely redo their life kind of thing right and sometimes like my brain just gets goes on a, on a railroad track and basically it's it's like a train train wreck basically and like it's not it doesn't seem normal to me and she's like yeah yeah so the thing with a lot of this she said is sometimes the hardest part is getting an accurate diagnosis as to what the problem is so she said sometimes easiest thing to do is we'll start your medication see what works and what doesn't and then it'll help us determine like what the exact problems are I've had almost no side effects. Like the only side effect that I've had from it has been really messed up dreams, which for the trade-off for it, I mean, it was like night and day. Like I, I feel like I'm a completely normal person around people and I'm not constantly analyzing everything. I can just like be me and be in the moment. Cause that's another thing that really, really affects is your ability to actually live right now instead of trying to live either in the past or in the future because your brain is constantly analyzing stuff you're doing and then in the future you're trying to set stuff up and try to reduce your anxiety but when your anxiety gets knocked down quite a bit it makes it so you don't have to do that where you can live you can live in now instead of just always trying to live somewhere else because it's not as it's not as pleasant right because then it makes you feel like living in the future makes you feel like you have a little bit more control over what happens and that's why it can be nice to like think ahead really far but the more that I've kind of dealt with it the more they've kind of realized that that's not necessarily a good thing you kind of have to like let yourself live at the moment and not 
just go there because it feels better because you have it seems like you have control over it because once you start living now it feels like you get your control back a lot i don't know it just seems it seems to work a lot better for me that way i haven't had a lot of issues with it so it's been really nice but just getting to that point took so long to get there like i was 27 or 28 before i got there and i pretty much had problems with that since i was like 12 or 13 and when you come from like a really religious family that doesn't believe that mental health is a thing it really messes with your head because you oh yeah just ignore it just ignore it god will solve it for you it's not really a problem it's all in your head and then you go to the point where you're completely on your own you have to completely rebuild everything you have to really examine what do you find important what matters to you regardless of what it matters to somebody else just because it matters to somebody else doesn't mean it should matter to you right and that's where you have to respect that people need to have their own things that make them important and that's not a bad thing that's actually a good thing and that's why socializing was a huge help trying to figure that one out because you can you kind of get a feeling for okay somebody who wasn't raised with any of these preconceptions about how everything is all the time and they were just able to form their own ideas as they grew up it kind of it makes you appreciate the amount of effort that it's going to take when you get there and when you finally feel like you get there it's like that was a lot of work but i'm glad i'm here and it's yeah it's been a huge help like the last four or five years have been a lot better for me Work has made it a little bit stressful, but that's where being friends with everybody outside of work has been a godsend because basically you leave the bullshit at work and then you can just go hang out. Like when when you I don't know if you, you ever get this, but like when you hang out with people and they say stuff and you're just like, you know what? These are my people. Like just mm-hmm. just because of the way they say stuff and you just like that's exactly what I was thinking, and you just have that moment of these are my people and this is this is awesome because like I had that when I first started hanging out with Colton and Kayla and we've been pretty good friends for pretty much the whole time he's worked there. It's been, it's helped a lot because like we, we play games sometimes and they're very much people that like to live in the here and now. Right. So it kind of, it helps reground me when like if I'm having a bad day or if things are getting a little rough at work or if I just need to remind myself to do that, they unknowingly do that for me kind of thing because they'll always like that and I don't think they even necessarily notice it so much but just yeah like that's one of the big things that really has made made a big difference for that that's a really good point the people that like help you the most yeah are the ones that don't even know it yeah they have no idea ever yeah no and like it's not that you're not being grateful it's that you're not sure how to express it without freaking them out necessarily yeah because they're not used to having to like worry about that because they've never it's never really been a concern for them so it's like do i say something or do i just leave it how it is because it's it's fine how it is and it works and it's it's good right like but you really like when you have to decide who you are especially after being alive for so long and you're kind of told what like the way you're supposed to be it's it's weird you go through a lot of different phases to try to figure out which one's you if that makes any sense like because mm-hmm. there's so many different things you can do there's so many different ways you can go 
there's so many different philosophies that you could like get like get lost in. Like the one that really had that I really avoided because of my anxiety was I avoided all the like the conspiracy theory stuff because that's a, such a rabbit hole that never ends. I've intentionally avoided those things on my own just just for the sake of just keeping my anxiety under control, regardless of whether or not there may be any truth to any of them. The anxiety level just being through the roof all the time, just whether it's happening or not, I have no control over it, so I have to pick my fights. And that's something, too, at work that you have to do, like, because it's a production-based business, so it's a lot of time-sensitive stuff has to be done, like, because we've got so much going on, like, it was weird because for the first basically two years that I was there, I was just a pre-mixer, and I was an absolute mess. Like, it was, I was a train wreck. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't get fired, honestly, but as soon as they made me lead hand, it's weird because when you're the one in control, you just set the pace. Mm -hmm. I was able to make it feel, make myself and the people that I'm working with feel a lot more in control of what was going on because I was clear about, okay, these are what's, what we're expected. This is expected of us. This is priorities. This is the stuff that I need to know. I don't have any problems if you screw up. Like, I don't, I don't care if you screw up. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not the other guys. I'm not going to yell at you. Just tell me you screwed up. We'll figure out what to do about it. We'll fix it. And then we'll just move on to the next thing. Like, it's weird how being in charge, how much that calmed me down. Just because you're not facing somebody else's expectations and being able to not being able to necessarily like live up to what they expect of you. But when you're the one who sets the expectations, you know what your limits are and you know what you can and can't do. And then that helps too when you're working with your coworkers because then, okay, well, I, I, if I know I have problems with this, I can get help with this. And then if I'm not having problems with it or something, and I figure out like, there's a lot of little things that I figured out um, when it comes to uh, like, there's, cause it, we have, there's four or five machines that run all the time for us. So there's a lot going on and you, you make mistakes no matter what, but the biggest thing was learning how to deal with the mistakes when they happen. Um, and then how to like prevent them from happening in the future instead of just writing them off as, oh, something just happened, it's not a big deal. One of the big things that I've learned, like just not, not even necessarily with work, but in general, if there's stuff that I tend to forget, if I do it first, I don't forget to do it. So like at work, like uh, let's say uh, we have a computer controlled steam controls for a roller and I forgot one time to shut the steam off when I was done and it caused a lot of problems because steam travels up the bin and up into the bin floor and because of the steam it condensates and it forms water and then everything froze so the entire bin floor was frozen like the, the, the whole floor was just ice so like okay now when i do it i wait till everything's below the last steam line i shut it off before it's even done and then i don't forget it and like i do that with a lot of little things so i end up milling a little bit different than the other guys but I went from making multiple mistakes a day to maybe making one every like two months. It's been kind of helpful having the work that I do with it being production based and everything's go, go, go all the time. Some of the skills that I learned doing that really helped me as for like in, in my life outside of work. Um, especially like 
So, for example, one thing that is big at work for us is we have to troubleshoot when something goes wrong because it's not always immediate, immediately uh, apparent what's wrong. I went, like, a, I had some extra money about a year ago, and I really wanted to, buy, like, build a computer for the longest time, and I was able to do that. But I didn't just stop there. I learned how to troubleshoot it, like, troubleshoot computer problems really well, like, I pretty much know like 95% of the problems people have with their computer. I can fix it without even, without even needing to Google anything. I, I know what the problem is pretty much offhand. And like it's translated over into work a lot where, okay, this stop, okay, start where everything's working, work your way backwards. It's plugged here, okay, so something's wrong here. And like I've gotten pretty good at it to the point where something goes wrong and I make a diagnosis to the maintenance man because it's during the day shift and maintenance man's there and we got to try to figure out what's wrong. He trusts when I tell him, okay, this is what's going on. This is what I figured out. He doesn't double, like double guess me like he used to. It's gotten to the point where 99% of the time I'm right. So he's okay. Yep. This is what's wrong. Okay. Yep, I'll go, you know, we'll go open this up. We'll figure it out and then we'll work, work from there. And that's, that's been a really huge help like confidence wise for me because that's another issue is second guessing yourself. Is, is can be a really bad thing. So like having the confidence of other people has really kind of grounded me in that. Cause like I, I was not any good with anything mechanical at all when I started my, when I started this job, right? Like no mechanical experience with anything. And like I started doing some of my own work on my vehicle because you know, my like replacing my battery it doesn't sound hard, but mine's buried. So I have to take half the fucking car apart to do it. Um, but the fact that like it started to carry over into other things and it's allowed me to kind of like branch out and learn, okay, how do I replace my brakes on my vehicle? Okay, yeah, that's, this is how you do it. Okay, that's, that's easy. I've done my brakes. I've done my, the friends on my, uh, my friend's truck, truck's brakes. I've done, I've helped my brother with his brakes on his vehicle. It's been a huge help just knowing that even if it's something you may, may not necessarily understand, YouTube it, ninety nine percent of the time you can YouTube it. So like that's, but also having the confidence to understand that you know what they're doing on on the video. So if there's something that stumps you, it's not that hard to figure out. So you can just kind of keep going with it, and it's it's been a huge help just in in general, like just with a lot of different things. And the one thing that I'm starting to notice with that was before I was confident in doing certain things. I would only stick to the stuff that I like to do all the time. It's kind of changed now, like depending on which group of friends that I'm with, I'm comfortable doing anything. Like it, people ask me like, what kind of stuff do you do for fun? It's like, it's not really about what I'm doing necessarily. It's people I'm doing it with now. So like I can go with my friends and we, we go golfing for the day, have fun. And then I come back and I'll play on Warframe with my buddy for two or three hours. And then, you know, I go do some cleaning and then watch a movie and then go to bed. And like, it's gotten to the point where like I'll, I'm comfortable doing anything. Like I'll go golfing, I'll um, go snowboarding, I'll go skating, I'll go play baseball, I'll go you know like do just what anything. It's more about the people that I'm doing it with than anything. And like that, that's something that I didn't realize that I, I was like at that point for the longest time. And then once you know, because I have my friends in Regina, they like doing different things. Like my one buddy, he likes talking about like science stuff, like space stuff and we talked for hours on end about that and then 
my other buddies are not really into that kind of stuff. It's more just like everyday guy stuff, you know, like, oh yeah, you want like going drinking stuff like that, you know, and just being comfortable doing all that and realizing it's about the people you're spending it with, not what you're necessarily doing has made it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. I do want to go back to like kind of the beginning of your story. Okay. Um, like we've known each other for such a long time now and we've never really like talked a whole lot about our mental health. It's just kind of been this like awareness of each other's struggles, but we haven't ever really like shared the full story. So like, is it, is mostly anxiety that you struggle with? It's a combination of that, but also just, there's anxiety, but also too just learning how to deal with like my family being like super religious. That is a lot of stress and it kind of shows up in spots you wouldn't really expect it. And that's where sometimes like that self-confidence issue kind of comes about. But as far as like the start to it goes, like, so what, what happened was when I was younger, uh, I, but the brother that's just older than me, he's epileptic and he has sleep seizures and that affects his uh, short-term memory. So, like, if you want him to do something tomorrow, you can't tell him to do it today because when he goes to sleep, the memory kind of just resets on him. So you have to tell him the day that you want him to do it, to do it, and you can't leave too much of a time space in there or, or he'll forget about it. And then, he like, he didn't learn at the same pace as, normal, as like, a normal person does. He... He technically graduated high school, but he was about a sixth grade, like, comprehension level. It was weird because when you're used to picking up stuff so quickly, you learn it the first time, and then, like, if you le- if you reinforce it tomorrow, you pretty much have learned it, right? Like, it's not going, probably not going anywhere anytime soon. But with him, it, it would just basically reset the next day, and it, it's frustrating dealing with that because... Like, we were really close being when we were younger, right? And we ended up in the same, in the second grade at the same time. Because they tried putting him in third grade, but he just, it just went way over his head and he just wasn't understanding. So they put him back in second grade. And, like, I tried to help him. And, like, he basically had an understanding of, like, the alphabet and stuff, but being able to actually, like, read words and stuff, it just wasn't sinking in with him. So the one thing that I would do was, like, we got this book of, like, poems by Robert Louis Stevenson. It was called, uh, like, 10,000 Children's Poems or something. And, like, at night, before we go to bed, I'd, like, read some of it to him and just kind of, like, walk him through how I was reading it and try to, like, explain it to him. And slowly he started, like, catching on to some of it. And, like, I never really – I don't even think any of our siblings knew that, I, that we would do that. But, like, that – kind of was like my first introduction to like how how much your brain completely controls everything that happens and then like that was probably I think it was probably about seven uh, second grade it would have been yeah seven or eight years old um and then to like growing up in a bigger family that kind of had an effect on things too because you know you have the older brothers and you're not quite as close to them because there's too much of an age difference and it definitely affects how much you like hang out with them kind of and like me and Philip were like the two middle kids basically because there's seven of us and uh so we'd spend a lot of time together and I spent time trying to learn how to help him without making him feel 
dumb if that, that you know like I'm not uh, like I wasn't trying to make him feel like he was you know wasn't adequate or anything or anything like that I was trying to help him through you know the his issue that he had and make him feel good about it and it, it never really seemed to show up that he thought I was treating him like that which meant a lot because I hope he doesn't make, make me think I'm treating him like an idiot because like he's not but he just doesn't want at the same pace I do when you're told like oh yeah your brain's controlled by stuff that you can't see there's no evidence of it kind of thing that kind of throws you through a bit of a loop and not being able to reconcile that was really a big issue and it kind of got worse as I got older because uh, when I was 11 so my dad is bipolar and it got really bad when I was about I was about 11 um, because he ended up at one point getting arrested and because there was a big fight at the house Basically, what had happened was uh, we'd gone out to the chicken coop because we had chickens, and I left the door open, and our dog got in, and she killed one of the chickens. And there was a big fight because my brother went to grab the pellet gun because he had to put the chicken down, right? Because he didn't want the dog to eat it because then the dog would constantly be trying to eat the chickens. So, like, he went to get the pellet gun, and then Dad said something to him, and it just started a big, like, fight. And... It scared the shit out of me, and I I, call, I ended up calling 911 because it was pretty scary, like, when it happened, because then, then my older brothers and sisters got involved, and it was just, it was a mess. And then that would have been just before the beginning of winter, because there was still, like, mud on the ground. And then there was another incident, and I wasn't home for it. And then all of a sudden, I just remember... It was, like, the day before my birthday, my, and Dad wasn't around. I was like, where's Dad? And I said, oh, he got arrested, and he's at the mental rehab facility in Pinocchio right now. And it turns out, like, he's bipolar, and when stress pushes him far enough, it gets so bad that he stopped being able to talk, and he just makes grunting noises. So he's, like, it's like a two-year-old inside a full-grown person's body, and... Everybody at the church was all, oh, yeah, you're just, it's all, all just being exaggerated. There's nothing wrong with them. And, like, it became a big thing because because of the mental health issue, mom tried to get a divorce, and that's a huge taboo for them. And so, basically, pretty much everybody at the church stopped talking to us for the most part. And so, like, that was, like, super, super awkward because we'd go every Sunday and... It's like we, we didn't go because nobody wanted to like talk to us or anything. So it was just kind of like you were there and you left. And it was like kind of felt shameful almost. And it made, made you start thinking, is this really the right way to do things? Because if something like this, where we have no control over it, is being, it ended up being controlled really well with medication to the point where if somebody didn't know that he was bipolar before, while he was on his medication, he wouldn't know. He's a completely normal person. Like, never gets mad, never has issues. Like, because when uh, he was on and off in the hospital for about eight years, and at one point, the because when he got admitted, it, the stress pushed it so bad that the doctors said he has a uh, schizophrenic break. And he ended up escaping the hospital, and he walked on foot. Montana and ended up living in some old lady's garage for two months. She was blind, so she didn't know he was there. 
and then he got picked up by by the border patrol and they weren't sure what to do with him for the first little while and after about two weeks of dealing with him they were just didn't want to deal with their shit anymore so they put him on a bus across the border back across the border again and then basically on the other side of the border he got arrested because he was basically an illegal immigrant at that point and he got sent back to Pinoca and it was off and on for eight years where he would he would just like try to get out have problems be forced to come back because like there's there's rules about how long you can force somebody to be in a in a mental rehab facility before you have to let them out um without their consent and without the power of attorney you only have 45 days and with bipolar it takes so long for the medication to act it takes almost a year for it to build up in your system enough to where it makes a difference and it kept not getting to that point because after four or five days we all i'm fine i don't need, i don't need help because that's part of the the disease is that you don't understand what's wrong with you and i'm not entirely sure what ended up making him stay but at one point he was in there for about three years straight that seemed to straighten him out for the most part and then when i turned about 20 i started talking to him again because this whole time we didn't really talk to him because of the whole like mental health issues and just being so erratic and unpredictable it didn't seem like it was a good idea but uh the biggest thing that that imprinted on me is that there's nothing wrong with not being okay and you have to accept that like if you need to ask for help there's no shame in it because that was case in point as to what happens if you think you can manage it yourself and you can't and you don't accept it then it just makes things so much worse but it, it takes a long time to get there mentally and i was lucky enough that i didn't have to completely bottom out to get there like i didn't it didn't come to a head in like one major incident it was more just a long time of trying to deal with an issue like trying to deal with the anxiety trying to deal with the massive ups and downs that comes with it and just realizing like i I can't do it on my own. I've been trying this for five years. I'm fairly intelligent and I can't figure out how to manage it properly. And it happened repeatedly so many times that it's just like, okay, well, I obviously have no control over it because I've tried everything humanly possible just about. So I need somebody. And that's basically when I talked to my doctor at that point and she was beyond helpful and only took about I was on the sertraline for about a month and they added the cutiapine. And as soon as they added that, like, night and day. Like, I I feel like a completely normal person all the time now. And the biggest difference being that I, I, I am living in the now instead of living in the past or living in the future and not being here for, you know, because this is what you have. You got to make the best of it. That's kind of too a little bit with the religious upbringing, you're looking into the future and you're looking into the past because the future is what happens when you die. If you're not a good person, you're going to go to hell. So you got to be a good person. You live in the past because you're always worried about sinning all the time. So you're not now is just, it seems irrelevant. So I had to kind of really reevaluate like, who am I without this? What's my, like, how do I want to live my life? And that's where the best 
way to describe it that I've been able to come up with has been don't leave the world in a shittier place than when you got here. There, there's a saying a lot when you're dealing with a lot of stuff is keep it simple, stupid. And that's where just once you have something to ground yourself to like that, it, it's a huge step forward because then you can kind of start deciding what makes you you, right? Because like when you're growing up around what everybody's telling you you should be and like there's not really any room for, like and you don't get talked about like how you're different individually and how that's a good thing you like that doesn't get talked about any of that it's just like it's not really a thing you need to kind of like it took me a while to accept the fact that i'm okay how i am like there's not necessarily anything automatically wrong with me because i'm alive like that's what it felt like when you're raised in religion is because you're alive there's something wrong with you and makes you feel a little bit guilty because well you have all these animals you know like running around like dogs and cats and wolves and bobcats and whatever and they're just trying to survive right and then there's us just being alive we're basically makes it feel like a mistake and it's like that doesn't seem right and that's where coming to that conclusion that there's nothing wrong with me just for being me i have problems but the most i can do is try to fix them when they happen once i'm there like at that point where you can fix what you feel is wrong or you can at least put the effort in to learn how to minimize the negative effects that it has you really start to like realize like there's nothing wrong with me i'm okay how i am i can do this and that's that was kind of the next step once you get to this whole okay this is what how i feel about everything in general now how do i be okay with myself and that that takes a while because when you grow up basically feeling guilty about everything you do all the time it, it takes a while to reset yourself mentally. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a year. It doesn't happen in a month. You have to go through whatever scenario you're in and ho- and just kind of like not hope you run into the right people, but like that kind of seemed to make the difference was being around the right people that didn't berate me for, you know, having mental health problems and going and seeking help for it. Because, like, my friends in Regina, they've been really good about it. Like, they, they, they experienced a lot of it with me, and they stayed, stayed friends with me through the whole thing, and that was a huge thing because it helped me realize they saw more than what was happening because they experienced a lot of it with me. It, it kind of gives you additional motivation to try to correct it because, you know, these people have been friends with you for so long. Through all that, when you correct it, it's so much better. And like we like we don't talk every day or anything, but I'm adult enough at this point now that I don't need to talk with people every day to know that we care about each other and that we're good friends and that constant communication isn't necessarily needed. Just whatever we're comfortable with is what it is, right? And that's another thing is trying to feel out what other people are comfortable with and what you're comfortable with and trying to reconcile the two because that's that takes a lot of effort and a lot of learning to kind of like be able to pick up on those things when you're not used to having to do it at all. Right. So there was a lot of learning involved and actually my doctor was pretty surprised. The one that I talked to the, on uh, Wednesday there, cause we went through some of that stuff and he's like, you're one of the more, more emotionally intelligent people that I've had to deal with. And that whether it required a whole bunch of negative activity to figure it out, that you figured it out 
that is 95% of the battle. And then he said most of what the rest of it is is just learning how to live with the rest of it, right? And how to maximize the good parts of it, because there are some good parts, like with an overactive brain, right, where it can help you think out a lot of things that some people don't even, they, they see a beginning and then they see an end. They don't, like, there's not, it doesn't feel like, to me, they go through anywhere near the amount of thinking in between the two that I do sometimes, because it's like, well, you have to evaluate everything from start to finish to, to figure out, okay, is this something that I want to do? And, like, that's a lot of information, but I've learned to use that energy, like, try to use the energy when it's there. It's important when you're dealing with people to know what's normal emotion and what's not, because that helps you decide if it's, an, if it's a feeling that you need to let go, like, let go of, or you need to not feed into it more, but if you need to, like, explore it more. So, like, it, there, there's, there's just a lot of information going through your head. But getting the help like that I needed, just taking this medication, like I've been on it, this changed a little bit, but just it's nowhere near as intense. It's so much better because you just you feel calm. Like I can go home and I can relax, like actually relax. Before, I didn't know what that was until it started happening. And like that was the first thing that I noticed when I started on my anti-anxieties was I can relax now. For some people, it seems so easy, and just it never came to me until I realized I'd experienced it. Like I was literally just got my couch, and I like sat down on it, and it's got reclines on both sides, and like I pretty much just felt like a puddle of water on it. <laughs> like I don't know if you ever had that feeling before or not, but like just when that happened, and like I could feel basically everything felt relaxed, and like this is what everybody's been talking about. Nice. <laughs> Tune in again next week to hear part two of my conversation with Anthony. We will get into even more of his story about anxiety and how he has managed that over the years. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC, and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.